What a great week with VBS, and we want to thank, I want to thank everyone who volunteered. So many of you uh, really helped out and made it a special week. You know, many of those kids, there's a couple hundred kids that went on VBS, um, many of those children will never, ever forget that week. And uh, some have come to Christ, and they'll, it'll be the memory of their uh, salvation and, uh, and their life will be completely different because of that. So can we just, I want to thank you. Can we, churches, thank those? We won't have you stand or anything, but you know who you are, and uh, we, we thank you for your, your service. Well, good morning, family. We are um, continuing our study in the book of Joshua, and the, the, the story of Joshua is God using not only him as a leader, but bringing the children of Israel, God's chosen, those who were chosen for the work of God's ministry to reveal his name. Um, He was bringing them into the promised land. And it's called the promised land because it was promised to Abraham and to his seed, his children that would be after him. And it's and it's God's promise. But not the, the promise itself didn't get the children of Israel into the promised land because a whole generation by this time have been wandering in the wilderness and never got there because of unbelief. And they weren't able to, to receive what God had already promised. And so it's, it's a, it, it, there, this story is about the children of Israel now getting what God has promised them. And, uh, and there's battles, there's wars that go on. And oftentimes when people read the Old Testament, come to these times of fighting and battles, they really don't um, fully understand all that, that, you know, what that's about. And they'll say, well, it's just, you know, people fighting and wars and so forth. But it's so much more than that. In fact, if that's all you see, it you really don't understand the scriptures. There are certain battles and that are revealed in scripture. Obviously, there's so much the Bible could have if you were just to go through history. Not only, I mean, not just Jewish history, but history as, as a whole. But God has chosen certain things because there's lessons to be learned in those things for every generation. So those lessons are for us. And we can learn how to actuate the promises of God in our life, things that God has said are yours because because of Christ, because of what Jesus did for us, that they really are ours, but so many people live their life and never, never get to receive everything that God has already said is yours. And so that's what we're learning in this story. And there's battles that take place. Now, before we get to verse 1, I want to jump to verse 13. And I want us to read, excuse me for a second. I want us to read at the end. This is where we're headed, okay? Verse 13 of chapter 5 of Joshua. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho 
that he lifted his eyes and looked, behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you force or our adversaries? And he said, no. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? And then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take your sandal off your foot for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. Now, before we explain that kind of odd occurrence in the scripture, I want you to see that the, the goal or the direction is a direction of preparing for battle. This is, this is warfare. And the reason why God um, has these stories that we can learn from is because the fact is, that as Christians, you know, we, we have many hats that we put on. I mean, we're, we're children of God, and we are, you know, we're, we're heirs of, of Christ, and, and we are people who are, you know, the called out of God for the purposes of God. And there's so many things, wonderful things that God says about us, and we, are, we find our identity in Christ. But one of those things is that every follower of Jesus is, in fact, to be a spiritual warrior. And I use the word spiritual because we're all called into a battle. When you come to Christ, you become part of a kingdom, and that kingdom is to be advancing, advancing in this world, advancing the kingdom of God, and there's spiritual battles that go on because of that. Uh, the, the, the Bible says that the kingdom of God suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. That there's, there's forceful entry, there's forceful attack, there's forceful advancement in the kingdom of God. And, and most Christians, I, I really believe most Christians really don't understand the concept or see it in Scripture. Oftentimes, there's a kind of a limited thing that we have. This, this portion of Scripture really kind of reveals something to us about this. But many kind of live in this, you know, I've kind of, well, I'm saved and I'm a Christian now, and um, I'm just waiting for heaven. You know, and someday I'm going to get there, praise God. And, uh, and that seems to be kind of the limit of many uh, followers of Christ, or I, sh I, sh I should say Christians, and, uh, and they don't understand what God has for us is so much more, so much more than that. And um, I mean, obviously, that's a, a lot. I'm, I kind of like the idea of heaven and uh, eternity with God. That's it's not a bad thing. It's just that God has so much more for us. And so let's jump in. Verse 1 of chapter 5 of Joshua. And what we find... Have you, ever, have you ever prepared yourself for a competition or an advancement or something in your life where you had, to, you had to intensely prepare for something, and if you didn't intensely prepare, well, you weren't going to be able to achieve 
whatever it was you wanted or the goal. You know, right now, you know, the Olympics are heading, you know, and people are, are going through that process of, of uh, qualifying U.S. Olympics and so forth. And, uh, and they've been, you know, th some of them, it's a lifetime. I mean, since they were little, have been training for this time to be able to reach the pinnacle of their athletic abilities. And, and this is, in fact, a training time. We have, in the book of Joshua, we have five chapters. This is the fifth chapter that God has said, I'm going to take you over the promised land, and, get, and you're going to go to, go to battle. You're going to take the land that, that I promised you, and there's no battle yet. We're, we're in chapter 5. We still haven't seen a battle. But what we are seeing is preparation. And these things, the scripture says, these things were written for our admonition. We, the reason God chose these stories is so we can learn. And what we're learning from this is how God is in the process of preparing us for advancement. Of preparing us for what he has for us in the future. And so, verse 1, it says, so it was when all the kings of the Amorites who were on the west side of the Jordan, all the kings of Canaanites were by the sea, heard the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan from before the children of Israel until we had crossed over, that their heart melted and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel. So they have already crossed over the Jordan River and now they're actually on promised land. And and God is revealing here, he said, that all, the, all their enemies, their future enemies, have seen what God did. God brought them through the Jordan River on dry ground during, you know, during the overflow season. And that God did this and brought them there. Now they're starting to shake in their boots. And they're afraid because they know that this army's coming, but it's not the army. It's the God who is behind this army that is causing fear. And if you're going to go to battle, you want your enemy to fear you drastically. It gives you an advantage. And that's what's happening. They are fearful, but they're fearful because they've seen what God has been able to do. And the story, in fact, of the generation before, when they came out of Egypt, is still spoken of by the people there in, uh, in the promised land. So... Um, God had said, I want you to go. We're going we're gonna to do this, but there's some things that have to happen first. And in verse 2, it says, And at that time the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives for yourself and circumcise the son of, sons of Israel ag again the second time. Now, this portion from here to verse 8 is about circumcision. And... Um, I actually was trying to get somebody else to speak for me this week, <laughs> talk on the subject, but I was unable. Now, it says second time. It's not the same people the second time. What had happened is, <laughs> okay, no, don't use your imagination on this at all. Just words. Um, when they came out uh, of Egypt before they, they um, came out of Egypt before the, the final plague God had the the, men's, the men were circumcised and then they ate Passover and then they were delivered so that group but they came in and they 
failed to go into the promised land, didn't have faith, weren't willing to obey God, and they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. But in all that time, they were not circumcising their children as God had told them to do. Now, where that all came from was Abraham. The Bible says that God had, when God had given the promise to Abraham, he had said that the sign for his people were, was, in fact, circumcision, that the young boys would be circumcised on the eighth day. And now they've gone through this entire time without circumcision. Now, you ask, why did God choose circumcision? I, I'll give you a little bit of it, but d- the first thing I just want to say is, I don't know. I really don't know. I mean, I can give you some some ideas of of what it relates to, but why God chose specifically that, I have no idea. But but God had told them that they are to do that before they're to go into promised land because there is a sanctification process that God is working in their life and an, an obedience that God is working in their life. Now, verse 3, it says, So Joshua made flint knives for himself and circumcised the sons of Israel at the hill of foreskins. Now, that's more information than I want to know. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt who were males, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. For all the people who came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness on the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. Now, circumcision um, is not required in the new covenant, not required in, in, in our time. And because circumcision was, um, it, it, it was a symbol of something, that uh, was, you know, outward, but was to be inward. And Romans chapter 2, verse 25, gives us um, more clarity on this. As Paul is writing, he was, when Paul was writing about the need for a Savior and, and exposing the fact that all had sinned, and even if you were a Jew, you were called by God, but you were called by God to not, not you, you weren't saved just because you were called by God. You understand, the calling is the fulfillment of what God wanted for them, but it doesn't, it's not the end all. Simply because you're called, you know, many are called, but few are chosen, the scripture says. So the fact is, you can have a calling on your life and never actualize that calling. In fact, you could have a calling on your life and never respond to Christ at all. That's a choice that you have. And the Jews had a calling to bring the gospel, bring the message of God to the world. They were called by God for that. They weren't the only people that were God's people. They were not the only ones that God was the God of, but they certainly were the only ones at that time as a nation called to present the message of God to the world. And Paul writes and says, listen, the fact is you need a savior too. You need Jesus. And the fact that you are, in fact, the children of Abraham, and if you follow the argument in the book of Romans, it says the fact that you're just a child of Abraham does not mean that you, you know, you're free from your own sin. Your sin still has to be atoned for. You still have 
have to have a savior. And so he walks through this argument. And of course, the argument brings up their counter-argument. And one of their counter-arguments is, well, we're the circumcised. And then that's when Paul responds to that argument here in verse number 25 of chapter 2. And he says, for circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you're a breaker of the law, and the, answer, and the, and the fact is all are breakers of the law, if you're a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. And therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirement of the law, will not his uncircumcision count as circumcision? I, I think one of the ways you can relate it is, is marriage, okay? Uh, it's, it's customary, at least in our culture, to, for men and women to have, if you're married, a ring on your ring finger. Now, if your spouse does not have one on today, don't elbow them, okay? But, but uh, uh, that, that is one of the ways, you know, it's identified. But a ring on the finger, you ask, ask any spouse if they would prefer that their spouse wears a ring and be unfaithful or not wear a ring and be faithful. Because the ring is not the determiner, and if you have a ring and you're unfaithful, then, in fact, you're counter to the, 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 the very thing that that ring's supposed to represent as a union with that spouse and only that spouse. So, in that way, Paul is writing and saying, uncircumcision is like, circum like you don't have a ring, but you're living out your married life in, in that proper way. Or, or a person who is then wearing the ring but is unfaithful, saying you're not. And that's where this circumcision kind of idea is coming. He says there are those who, who are circumcised, but they're living like an uncircumcised person. And there's people who are uncircumcised who are living like one who's called by God and following after God. And so in verse 27, and, and will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you, who even with your written code and circumcision are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outward, nor circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inward, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not of the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God." And so understand that the circumcision, in fact, from the beginning, circumcision was a cutting of the flesh that was to, to symbolize for, for, for us that, that the flesh is, cannot produce what God wants in our life. It cannot produce that. It has to come from the Spirit. It has to come in obedience to God. It has to come in surrender to God. So Joshua is, is called to, to make sure that all the, those going into the promised land, all those who are going to fight, are circumcised because God is asking them to walk in obedience. Now, notice it says in verse 6, it says, For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till all the people who were men of war who came out of Egypt were consumed because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. Now, the point is that they didn't, 
They didn't obey God. Now, they were circumcised when they came, but they didn't obey God in going into the promised land. And that was the issue. And what was interesting is that when they, uh, when they you know, rebelled about going in, they wandered in the wilderness, and they did not circumcise their children. So they had partial obedience. They were supposed to do it. They had partial obedience. And partial obedience is disobedience. Now, God has them circumcised their, you know, be, be circumcised at this time. And it is the most inconvenient time to be circumcised. I mean, and, it, and, and, and I say that because they're now on the other side of the Jordan River. They're in the land where all their enemies are. They're the most vulnerable because while they were on the other side, the enemies could not cross the Jordan River to attack them. Now they're on this side of the Jordan River. Their enemies are there. And the worst thing that you could do is get circumcised before you go to battle. So nobody wants to be circumcised before. So it says, um, it, it, it says, in verse 7, then Joshua circumcised their sons whom raised in their place, and they were circumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. So it was when they had finished circumcising all the people that they stayed in their places in the camp till they were healed. They're hiding out because you don't want to go to war and be um, limited because of that. So I'm just saying it as nicely as I can. Now, God is bringing them into this land of flowing with milk and honey. But first, notice what it says in verse 9. Then the Lord said to Joshua, this day I have rolled away the reproach from, from, of Egypt from you. I've rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. What is that? Well, the reproach of Egypt is, is the fact that God delivered them out of slavery in Egypt. He delivered them from Egypt, but here's the reproach. Though he delivered them out, he didn't bring them in. They were delivered out, but not brought in. They were delivered out of Egypt, but they weren't brought in to the promised land. They didn't make it. They didn't make it. It's their reproach because they didn't go in because of unbelief. It was their own lack of faith and disobedience that kept them going into the very promised land. So they, they weren't slaves anymore, but they're wandering in the desert. And folks, there are a lot of Christians that that's exactly their story. They can tell you, you know, and, and let me tell you, being delivered from Egypt is a wonderful thing. And some of you know that story, you have that story. That's my story. I had addictions in my life. I was in bondage in my life. In fact, all of us were in bondage at some point to sin in our life. And when we, we received Christ, and we went through the Jordan River, you know. I mean, we went through uh, the, the, the Red Sea, and, and in our life, there's a transformation that took place. And 
we're thankful. And we say, I'm not what I used to be. But we came out and we had some deliverance in our life. And we accepted Christ and we're on our way to heaven. You know, we know Jesus has forgiven us. And we walk in that continual forgiveness. We're thankful for that. And we might even do a lot of Christian stuff. But we've never entered into the fullness of the promises that God has for us in our life. We've not entered the promised land in our life because we've never been willing to lay down the things that keep us from going into promised land and trust God. And in, like in this story, this story is a, a story of, of sacrifice it's, a, it's a, a story of, you know, setting themselves apart unto God. And they never were able to do that in the first generation. And now God is calling them. And that's what that circumcision is about. It's about getting ready. See, they could not eat Passover until they were circumcised. And so the last time they ate Passover was when they came out of Egypt. And most of those people, this 40 years later, most of them have never had Passover before. Something significant, Passover, this, the, the, the sacrificial lamb, the lamb that was sacrificed, the blood on the doorpost was their Passover. And they were supposed to eat Passover every year on the same day and have Passover in remembrance of what God did. Until, until the Passover was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus died on the cross on Passover. It was the, the same day that they celebrate Passover. Jesus died on the cross. He was the Lamb of God, as John the Baptist said, the Lamb of God who would take away the sins. He was, he was the Passover Lamb sacrificed for our sins. So they had, hadn't eaten Passover, and they're going to get a chance to do that now, and God's actually calling them to that. But the reproach has been that they left Egypt, and they have not gotten into promised land, and God was taking away that reproach. And then the end of the verse, it says, therefore, the name of the place is called Gilgal to this day, which means rolling, rolling away or rolled up. And, uh, and so every time they'd see that city, the name Gilgal, they'd remember that's the place where God rolled away our reproach from Egypt. Now, then they eat Passover in verse 10. It says they, they camped in, and they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month as they're supposed to. And then in verse 11, they ate, they ate the produce of on that day after the Passover and unleavened bread and parched grain on the very same day. And then verse 12 says, then the manna ceased on the day after they eat, had eaten the produce of the land and the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate the food of the land of Canaan that year. Now, all this time, they've been for 40 years, they get up in the morning and they go out into the desert, you know, six days a week. On the sixth day, they get double the amount of Krispy Kreme donuts. So they go out and they go pick those things up, and it's kind of a sweet, 
um, kind of thing. But what it was, it had all the nutrients they needed. It was what they needed, what they needed, which is probably good. And probably the first time they went out and went, oh, Krispy Kreme donuts, I love it, warmed up. And they had their first bite, and they enjoyed it. And sitting this wonderful, and they're talking to everybody. And then, you know, the next morning they get up and, oh, Krispy Kreme donuts, Hey, look at, we have Krispy Kreme donuts again. That's good, huh? And the third day they go, and, and for 40 years, <laughs> Krispy Kreme donuts are good. But breakfast, lunch, and dinner, they had everything they needed, but God was going to give them more than they needed. Do you see that? He brings them into the promised land because in promised land, you don't just get what you need. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. Understand that the principle of this is that in the promised land, it's what Jesus said when he said, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy, but I came that you might have life and that you might have it more abundant, more abundant life. Uh, That you would have life, or uh, another translation is life to the full. And, And when it's talking about life to the full, it means that you're entering into those places where God is giving you not just what you need, but more than what you need. And more than what you need, not just for you, but more than what you need so that you can share and you can give and you can bless others with the more that he gives you. And I'm not talking about finances necessarily because people jump there. But I'm talking about everything about life. Everything about love. Everything about what God wants in the fullness of what life should be as followers of Christ. And what God has dreamed for us to live out in our life. And that abundance that God wants to give us happens because they were willing to do something that made no sense at all. None. I mean, we still now can't totally figure it out. Why circumcision? It's not the best. There's no strategy to this. Is that going to make you a better warrior because they were circumcised? Actually, it put them in more risk. What, What was that about? It was about being obedient when you don't even know why, even if it costs you. And that kind of obedience is what is required because if you're going to have victory in promised land, you're going to face enemies that you cannot beat just on your own strategy. You, you cannot strategize. You cannot work this. You cannot will this uh, to, to happen fully in your life as God desires. This is, has to be something where you truly trust God. See, the last time they were at the edge of promised land, the, promise, the problem was they, they only operated out of what they saw and not out of faith. And because they were not willing to live in faith, they, they were defeated. They were defeated before they ever got there. And they weren't able to see what God had for them. And I want to tell you, I believe that many, many Christians live in the desert of their faith their entire life, and they never get into promised land 
because they're never willing to take that step of faith. They're never willing to step out of whatever it makes them comfortable and, you, and, and trust God in places. So they make decisions based upon what they think is the way they ought to live rather than truly trusting God in his word. And, um, and so here they are, ready, and God stops the manna. But notice it says he gave them the food before he stopped the manna. He didn't freak them out. Like, they didn't go out there and go, no manna. What are we going to do today? When, how are we going to eat? Actually, God gave them the food, and then they went out for the manna and said, there's no manna. But, boy, look at what we got here. See, God, because they had, were willing to operate in this realm of faith. And then where we started off was this encounter with this warrior. Now, if you, if you, you, read, um, you read the commentaries on this, you read theologians that'll say, um, in fact, this is often used as a, this kind of doesn't make sense. Why is this stuck in here where the, Joshua meets this guy? You know, and it, in fact, many commentators say, we think we're missing part of the story. That we think it ended, uh, that there was more to this story, but it never got in the scriptures. I say baloney. That's my theological term. God has everything we, we need in the scripture. The Bible is God-inspired. We have the word of God. And it is, com- it is full. It is complete. It's everything we need. God's not, we're not missing anything here. In fact, I think it's just the way it should be given to us so we can understand a principle, a major, actually more than one, major principle. So th- let's take a look at it again, and let's dissect it, and then we're done. Joshua uh, 5.13 says, It came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked. Now, um, it's possible that Joshua was actually in prayer because he says he lifted his eyes. Well, we can't say for sure, but it's possible that that's what he was. He was in prayer, and then he lifted his eyes as he's in prayer, maybe praying about where they're going to do, what, you know, how they're going to approach going into battle with Jericho. And it says, as he lifts up his eyes, behold, a man stood opposite him with a sword drawn in his hand. So we're looking at a warrior here. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or our adversaries? Now, that was the wrong question. Are you for us or are you against us? That's what he's asking. And we do that with God sometimes. I mean, a lot of times we, we're just going, is God on our side, you know, or is he on somebody else's side, maybe our enemy's side, you know? I mean, we do that in sports. Where people pray that their sports team will win, you know? UCLA fans are praying that their football team will win this year. They're, they're really hoping that it will happen. But God's on USC's side. And... <laughs> And so, you know, we can, we can see where it's headed, but you understand the, the, the point is. We, we're, we kind of want God to be on our side, and when we ask, oh, God, are you on our side? And the answer is what he gives Joshua. His answer is no. He said, are you on our side or their side? 
And his answer is, no. No, I'm not on your side. I'm not on their side. Because the real question is, are you on his side? You see, are you on God's side? That's what the real question is. It is not as God on your side. God, is God there to serve you? Or are you here to serve God? And, and that's the real question. And, and the answer better be, I'm here to serve God. And that's what Joshua actually came to understand and came to realize that it isn't where God is God on our side. Am I on God's side? And am I willing to do what God asks of me, what God's calling me to do in my life? And that's all part of these five chapters of training that God has given Joshua and to um, the, the people of Israel. He says, no, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? Now, there's, there's some real under, insight into what just happened. It says, Joshua fell and worshiped. That gives us information about who this person is, because it says it's a man. In, in, a, in, 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 in theological understanding of what sometimes happens in the scripture, where God actually has visited human beings in human form. It's often called a, a, a theophany or a Christophany, referring to Christ, that Jesus came. And there's time like Abraham was a, a recipient of that where, where God revealed himself in human form. And we, where we discover, where we know that's the case, or we, we would assume that's the case, is when there is someone, oftentimes it'll, they'll, they'll be, it'll be called the angel of the Lord, then and then someone will fall down and worship and we mix that up because when we hear the word angel we think in terms of you know the flying angels and beings and all of that if you don't mix it up with the baseball team you mix you understand that he's talking about angels but the word angel just means messenger and sometimes when it refers to the angel of the lord it's talking about the messenger of the lord so and and how we know that that isn't just an angel or how we know it isn't a man is that they receive the, this, this being from God or the second person of the Godhead receives worship. You see, angels, there are times when, when an angel appears and someone falls down to worship, the angel always says, no, don't worship me. I'm like you. It's an angel saying, I'm like you. We're servants. We're both servants of the most high God. And they'll, they'll tell them to stand up. Angels will always do that. Demons, on the other hand, and Satan's kingdom will not. Demons will ex receive worship. And Satan, that's his ultimate goal, is to have worship. And ultimately, that's what the Bible talks about when it talks about the Antichrist being filled with Satan. The goal is to have worship. He wants direct worship as often as he can get it. But angels will never do that because God is the only one who is to be worshiped. And so because this being actually receives worship, 
that we would say this is probably Christ incarnate. It's, it's Christ, I'm sorry, not incarnate, but Christ revealing himself or in the appearance as a, a man, as a person. As a, um, so um, we see Joshua then falling down and worships him, and, uh, and then he asks a cru- crucial question, revealing how he's responding. What does my Lord say to his servant? I'm, I'm, I'm a servant. So Joshua is the head of the armies of Israel, but he understands he's under someone, and he's under the Lord. And he says, what, what shall I do? Because, folks, you cannot serve two masters. The scripture tells us in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. God says, you have, you have to have one master. You can't be a master and God be a master. You can't have something else in your life be a master and God be the master. Everything has to be surrendered and submitted fully to Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take your sandal off your foot for the place where you stand is holy and Joshua did so I love that because Joshua heard what he said and did it why he submitted that's the that's the attitude of a person who's going into promised land to take everything that God has for him he's immediately falling but but when he says to him take your shoes off for it for the land you stand on is holy ground does that remind you of anything if you've read, of course, the uh, Exodus, you read the story of, of uh, Moses, that that's exactly what happened when Moses encountered God where he revealed himself in the burning bush and said to Moses that, he, you know, he was the, the great, he was the I am, the all-sufficient one. And then he tells Moses to take his sandals off for the place where he is, is holy ground. The holy ground, what was that? That was the ground that now he's standing on. It's the ground that God was giving, given, and, and he was giving it. Listen, where you're standing is holy ground. And you're to be holy wherever you're standing because what I'm giving you is holy, and it's holy ground. So you need to be holy. Holy is separated. You, you're separated unto God. You're fully surrendered to God. And that's why to the, the, the start of this chapter, when, when Joshua had the men circumcised, and that was a complete surrender to God, a complete surrender. Whatever it is, listen, you have to, you have to say yes to God. And sometimes what God uh, requires of you is challenging and sometimes painful. But what he's bringing you to is something wonderful and it's the only place where you get there fully is that you have said yes to him in faith. And it was the very thing that kept him out the first time was not saying yes to him. And now they're saying yes to him so they can go into promised land. And that's for you and me as well. But sometimes there are things that God is asking us and we hesitate or we, we decide, you know, I, I just don't, think I want to go down that road. 
I'm not going to let God do that. I, maybe there's things to, we're too attached to. And God wants us to be freed from them. And I want you to take a moment. Just as we close, I want you to take a moment and I want you to consider, is there anything in your life that God's been asking you to release, to be, to, to say yes to him, to, to stop holding on to in your life? Is there something God has said, no, you're to get rid of that out of your life? Is there anything there that God wants to free you from that you've been holding on to? You know what it is? Maybe it's a person that needs to be released out of your life. Maybe it's a friend that is bringing you down. Maybe it's, maybe it's a, a thing. Maybe it's a habit. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a sin. And, and it doesn't have to be a sin in the, you know, the strictest definition of that, but, but in the sense that it's something that just holds you back. You know, the Bible talks about every weight and sin. Sometimes it's a weight. It's not a sin, but it's a weight. I think back when I was, when I was a fairly young Christian, I, my life, my, most of my teenage years, you know, early teenage years, and even after I came to Christ, there were, you know, it was, my life was baseball and surfing. You know, that's, that's what, it, when, I, when I, went to, I, I went to college, I looked for a college, I went where I, I could get on the surf team. There's only very few teams, uh, colleges that you could do, where I could get on the surf team and I could play baseball. That was my goal in life. And surfing had complete control of me. I surfed, I would surf every day, every day. And, um, and that, that, that means you surf when there's no waves. You just get out in the water because you're addicted. And, and I, 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 that was my life. And, and there's a culture to that as well. It's more than just water. And surfers know that. There's a surfing culture that you're connected with and people that you're connected with. And I had that whole part of my life. And, um, and I, when I came, in fact, when, when Carol and I went on, on our honeymoon, I brought my surfboard. I didn't do as much surfing on my honeymoon, but still... It just my life, and um, and the Lord has spoken to me, and um, several times, and He says, "Rick, I want you to give up surfing." And uh, you know, I said, "Get behind me, Satan!" You know, <laughs> it wasn't Satan; it was God, and He kept pressing. And uh, I had at that time felt called to ministry. I felt called to go go into school. I was going to go to Bible college. And I had this thing pressing on me. And um, I remember, um, I mean, it was extremely, I, I decided, okay, God, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do that. Now, surfing is not a sin, right? I mean, not that I know of, unless God has said you've got to stop. Um, surfing is not a sin. I th God made it. My surfboard said, all, I put on there, uh, God gives all things to enjoy, so I <laughs> was my surfboard reading, and um, but God wanted to free me. See, it's one thing for you to enjoy or have surfing in your life; it's another thing for surfing to have you or anything else.
and it had me. And I made that decision, and it was very difficult. See, I used to lose jobs on a regular basis because I would have my surfboard in the back of my Pinto station wagon, and I would drive to work, and if the winds were offshore or I heard there was a swell, I'd turn around. I wouldn't even call work. I wouldn't even lie and tell them I'm, you know, I'm I'm sick or something. I'd just turn around and go to surfing, and I'd lose jobs. And it was really an addiction for me. And, and God told me to do that. I, I would get depressed. I'd, I'd be go, going to work, and I'd see that, and, I, and I'd keep going. I'd finally get there. And I'd just be depressed at work. I could be surfing. I really went through this thing. And it was a process until... And, and every day, you know, it was a process. And then pretty soon it got easier and easier. It was almost a year until the Lord says, okay, now you can go surfing. And it didn't have me anymore. I could go, I could go surfing one day and not go surfing for a week or two and do it if I, when I wanted to and when I had time and when it was not interfering. If I had not said yes to that, I don't think I'd have made it through Bible college. I don't think I would have. I, I don't think I'd have been in the ministry. I think I'd still be, you know, my life, it's a Sunday morning, if the well falls good, I'd be out in the water. But I had to say yes to God. And to say yes to God, I had to say no to something else. And, uh, and some of you are right now, there are some things in your life that you need to say no to so you can say yes to God. And I just want, I'm, I'm not going to call for hands or anything. We're not going to have an altar call. I think this is something you need to deal with with God yourself because it might be a process, but you have to give it up if God's telling you to. You have to. You'll never get, you'll be wandering in the desert of your life and never get all that God desires and dreams for you. You have to make that choice. God will help you, you know, I had to call upon him a lot. Lord, I really, really would like to be in the water right now. Lord, help me. I want to be obedient. I believe this is what God wants. You, you know. You might have done that in some way in your life as well. But you never get, if you have these things, because those things are actually idols. We don't rec- recognize it. Those are our idols the things that become first in our life over God. Well, let's pray. Father, I thank you. Thank you that you give us freedom. And thank you that you desire that we might have life and have it to the fullest. And so, Lord, I pray that we'd walk in that step of growth and maturity and obedience and that, Lord, we walked out of Egypt, Lord, by your grace and by the salvation. But, Lord, we want to walk beyond that. We want to get in the promised land and live out our lives in the fullness of all that you dream for us. And, Father, I pray, Lord, for anyone who's never started the journey. If, if th- those people are here in this building or watching online, if you have never given your life to Jesus, today's your day. Today, you need to say to Jesus, Jesus, come into my life. You need to ask Jesus to cleanse your soul from all of your sin. Just say, Jesus, please cleanse my soul. I put my faith 
in you, Jesus. I believe you died for my sins, you were buried, and you conquered death. And I choose to follow you. I'm going to need your help. I ask you to help me. Because right now, I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And I thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we worship in closing? Let's stand together. Purify my heart, let me be as gold and precious silver. Purify my heart, let me be as gold, pure gold. is to be Ready?
to do your will. Oh, I'm ready to do your will. Oh, Lord, we surrender to Holy Spirit, come do a work in our hearts. We surrender to you, God. Set aside those things, God, the weights that entangle us and ensnare us. Set apart from 
master ready to do your will yes jesus we are amen amen god bless you church be blessed as you go Oh